we come to the Word of God this morning, um, I want to invite you to stand and uh, draw your attention to the reading of the Word from the center of the church. Ray Pickett will be reading our text from Acts 11, 19 to 30. And this church values the centrality of God's Word, its foundation for our life. It's our final rule for faith and practice, we say, in Reformed understanding of the faith. So listen to God's Word. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen, Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the Word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw that the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. This is God's word. Thanks be to him. Amen. Um, the church is undergoing in this text, a great picture of it, a disruptiveness to its mission. And in the midst of that, grace shows up and surprises the church. And it made me just think about how disruptive life has been for all of us. You know, the last 18 months, maybe going on 20 months, just feels like one disruption after another. Of course, the, the pandemic is there. And uh, I, I flew, I left Iranian Christians in February of 2020. And uh, while I was in the airport on the way back, news was breaking of this virus and people in Rome were wearing masks already. Uh, our churches became disembodied for a season. We, we all went to online. You, you learned online church. How thrilling is that? Now for some people it's really been a good thing because it upped the, it upped the game and if you're in a nursing home or if you're unable to come to church, what a beautiful gift. But for the rest of us, how many were really happy to be online church? I didn't hear any amens, and I think this is a group that would say amen. Top on, on top of that this last year, racial tensions in our country with George Floyd and the crisis that emerged, and there's the political season that we endured and are enduring. It's one thing after another on a global, on a national scale, and perhaps in your own life you know what it's like to experience disruption. Something in marriage goes awry, a child has challenges and problems. The church sometimes goes through uh, disruptive seasons. And I'd like to make the suggestion today that Scripture is helping us by 
pointing us to story after story where it's in the disruptions that God seems to move the church forward. It happens again and again in the life of the church. And I want to make a couple observations, three observations today about what disruptive mission means or disruptive grace. That we first see the mission is disrupted, then we see that grace surprises us, and we see that ministry multiplies. And I'd like us to think about these three things as we discern what God's word is saying to our own journey, your journey as a church. You're making a move. I didn't realize you're in this building program. It's awesome. It's beautiful. And God's going to do amazing things. You're on the move. And often, churches on the move experience disruption as we see in the, in the book of Acts. There's, there's all kinds of disruption in the story of the book of Acts. Uh, um, beginning in chapter 1. If you have a Bible, you might just want to page through Acts with me. Acts chapter 1, the disciples have it good. The resurrected Jesus is with them in Galilee. And, and then all of a sudden, he gets beamed up. And he says, now you're in charge. You be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the ends of the earth. Right? Chapter 2, they're sitting in the upper room praying and having great fellowship. But that's not what God wants them to do. So he sends the Holy Spirit. Disruption! Flames show up on their head and they start speaking in every language imaginable to the people gathered in Jerusalem. Would you say that's a little disruptive? That would be a little disruptive this morning if the elders suddenly had flames of fire on their head and, and preaching to you in different tongues. Um, Acts is filled with that. We go on and we can see in, in chapters 6 and 7, Stephen is the first deacon and he's martyred for the faith. That's disruptive. And the church scatters. Philip goes to Samaria and then carried up in the spirit, shows up on the road to with the Ethiopian eunuch in the chariot. That's disruptive. Chapter 9, the apostle Paul, uh, a man named Saul, is on his way to, um, to persecute the church in Damascus and God shows up in, the, in, in Jesus in a vision. That's disruptive. Chapter 10, Peter sees a vision of going to a man named Cornelius to preach the gospel. To us, it doesn't seem that dramatic, but this is a pivotal moment in the church and highly disruptive. He's an apostle of Jesus sent to preach to a non-Jew, God-fearing Greek who is seeking God, but he's uncircumcised, he's unclean. And Peter eats with him, and Peter speaks in his house, and the household receives the good news of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit falls on them, and they baptize him. And the elders in Jerusalem are going, whoa, wait a second, what's happening? Disruption. And then in chapter 11, the disruption goes up a notch. Those scattered with the persecution. They go to places like Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, and they're speaking to no one except Jews. And then it's almost like the, Luke is writing this like he's tattling on some people. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they went to Antioch, spoke to Hellenists also. So we have um, non-original disciples preaching. To non-Jewish, non-God-fearing, pagan people. And they're coming to faith by the droves. A great many who believed turned to the Lord. And the church in Jerusalem is panicked. What's going on? 
And yet it is disruption that often is what God uses to propel the church forward into a new direction. The church hears about it, and they've sent Barnabas to investigate. William Barclay, a, a, a New Testament scholar, says he's the largest-hearted man of the Bible because his name means son of encouragement, and that's what he does over and over again. He's curious. I feel I'm a little bit like Barnabas, not for my encouragement, but in my curiosity. I've heard about a place called Twin Falls. I've heard about a church that is committed to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the ends of the earth. I've heard about your legendary missions conference in the spring of the year. It's all magic. And then I found out it's just Magic Valley. Isn't that what it's called? Right? Barnabas goes to investigate this mission that is disrupted, and when he gets there, he sees the grace of God, and he's what? What does it say? When he saw the grace of God, he was glad. In times of disruption, look for the grace of God and be glad. Why is he glad? He's, he's glad in part because many people who believed in the Lord, who believed, turned to the Lord in faith and were coming to salvation. That's the number one and bottom line thing. But there's also more to be glad about. Who was leading them to faith? Not the original 12, but people who had been discipled. So he's seeing disciples who make disciples making disciples. Every pastor would say, Chuck, amen. We zoom out the lens a little farther and we see something beautiful happening in Acts. When Jesus ascends, he says, you'll be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. The book of Acts is neatly divided into these geographic segments. The first chapters, one through seven, are all in Jerusalem. Then the next few chapters, through, through maybe ten, take place in Judea and Samaria. But from chapter 11 on, it's to the ends of the earth. I don't know if Barnabas knew these things, but I think he was glad that this was happening. Antioch isn't that far, a couple hours probably by driving from Jerusalem, if the, if the roads were straight like they, they are in the agricultural plains of Idaho. But, but he knew that this was big because Antioch represented the ends of the earth or the beginnings thereof. It was a cosmopolitan city where east and west met and intersected. Commerce, entrepreneurs, cultural art leaders were all there. And we have men from Cyprus and Cyrene. Cyrene is a part of Africa going. I just can't help but imagine, is this the same person from Cyrene that Luke writes about in the Gospel of Luke, that when Jesus was carrying the cross to Calvary, they put the cross on a man named Simon from Cyrene. Maybe he's the same guy. I don't know. I'd like to think that he perhaps was. And all of this, he is seeing that the church is representing in the disruption this remarkable grace of God that's happening. And if you zoom out beyond the book of Acts and just look at the Bible, story after story after story, it's in the disruption that God's grace shows up. There's Joseph in prison in Egypt and freed and made ruler of the land. His brothers come down and he says, you meant it for bad, but God meant it for good. There's Esther, a Jewish girl in the ancient city of Elam in Persia, which is today Iran, and she is, she is assigned to the king's 
consort. She's going to be in his harem. And, and there's at the same time an edict from the king to destroy all the Jewish people. And her uncle Mordecai says, who knows, but for this very moment, God has chosen you for this moment. Disruption leading to his glorious purposes. And Jonah in the whale. And Mary with the angel. And the disciples at the ascension. Disruption, disruption, disruption. God is doing something. And when he does, look for his grace and be glad. I believe that gladness is an underrated theological proposition that the church could recapture in the midst of pandemic and animosity. We don't do mission because God commands us, though he does. Ultimately, we do mission because of joy. Um, got my did some screenshots of some great texts to back me up on this one. Sometimes you got to do that, right? Why is it that God wants His glory to be known to the ends of the earth? And what we find over and over again in Scripture is things like this. Psalm 97, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands, the different places, be glad. There is First Chronicles 16, let the heavens be glad, the earth rejoice, let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Psalm 67, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. And in Acts chapter 9, when Philip is taken to the city of Samaria, preaches the gospel, and they come to faith in Jesus, it says, there was great joy in that city and we sang today about the house of the Lord Ryan led us in the new song for you I love it let there be joy in the house of the Lord we do mission because it is the joy of the Lord the Presbyterians have an old confession the Westminster confession the first question is what is the chief end of human beings and the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever to which John Piper the famous Baptist preacher says how do we glorify God we glorify God by enjoying him forever so if there's not joy in your life today get involved in mission <laughs> because there is gladness and delight and joy wherever the house of the Lord is at work and let me tell you the pandemic was a it has been a total disruption but God used the disruption to spread the gospel. In, in, in Iran in 2017, our leader for that country came and said, I think we gotta go off shortwave and go all digital all the time. We went from one hour a day to 24 hours a day, seven days a week, not just through one medium, shortwave, but through a digital radio station, Facebook, uh, Twitter, WhatsApp, Instagram, YouTube, seven different social media platforms all day, every day. We did this before the pandemic. We began to then be able to track people individually. With shortwave, we didn't know who was listening. Now, you know, the, the sad and joyful reality of digital communication is you know exactly how many people are watching this broadcast because it says in, in Facebook how many are, are paying attention, right? And, and the church can see how many people are really watching the, the broadcast later on. Well, we now knew what was working and what wasn't working. We could have direct communication with people who had 
questions and crisis in their life and we redeploy the resources. I'm German Dutch, I love saving money. So if there's some Dutch people here, you know about that, right? This thing cost us 90% less money to do in terms of airing production, and we redeployed the 90% not to put in the bank, but to deploy in mission, and God has done an amazing thing. We created a team of content creators and follow-up people who can work with people inside the country. You saw the woman on the screen. She works with us inside the country, following up with people to make sure they're understanding what they need, and and then vetting them to make sure they're not spies. And then when we know that it's safe, we invite them to online church through Zoom, which we've been doing before the pandemic, but the pandemic accelerated it. And then we invite them to strategic discipleship on Zoom twice a week. And then we are building the future of the church inside the country. She said it was three years between conferences for her. Now we're able, by God's grace and the help of your church, to be able to do at least two. In the next three years, I'm committing by faith to do three conferences a year in which we have a strategic plan to equip the church that's inside the country. And in the coming days, we're going to be announcing, maybe in the next few weeks, a program with the seminary in, in Holland, Michigan, Western Seminary, to bring seminary distance learning inside the country. Can I get an amen? Can we rejoice and dance or something? This is so cool. Because here's what's going to happen. The young people, like that woman in the video, we're pouring energy and time into. Because someday the regime inside Iran is going to fall. And when it does, we want to be sure that the church on the ground is ready. And if it doesn't fall, it's still ready. Because you cannot disrupt God. He can disrupt us, but only on the way to something bigger. Oh, I need a towel to wipe off, okay. Um, yeah, the mission multiplies. Notice what Barnabas does. He's glad, and then he encourages them, stay strong in the Lord, steadfast in purpose. He goes to find Saul, in Tarsus, I think he understood that Saul had been given the gift and purpose of ministering to Gentiles. So he goes and gets him. They teach for a year. For me, there's a, a really good mission and life principle here. That, that when, when disruption comes, adjust to the new reality. You, you, you did that as a church. Or you did that in your personal life. Some of you have endured diagnosis and disease. It's disruptive. It's okay to lament and be sad or frustrated, angry, but then to take a step back and see, how is God at work in the midst of the disruption and how can I adjust to this new reality? We don't know what the world's ultimately gonna be like. We still got a long ways to go. I've got colleagues that are losing family members left and right in Uganda and in India and, and in Nepal. In Nepal, our Nepali leader lost, he says, in 10 days, they lost seven church pastors to COVID. We got a long way. We don't know where it's all going to end. But we adjust to the new realities. We do what's needed. We listen for the Holy Spirit. And we focus on the future. Um, 
Agabus, one of these prophets, comes down and he prophesies the famine and they receive this offering to send back, as Ray read earlier. And I'm struck by this. We, we, the prophets are not about foretelling future events. It's not like a fortune teller or a future teller, although sometimes that does happen. The point of the prophet is to prepare God's people for action. And that's what he's doing. And the church receives this offering to send back to the impoverished brothers and sisters in, in Jerusalem. And what I notice, what I want us to see, is that there's a full circle thing that happens in mission. Something happens. The, the gospel went out. People turned to Jesus and Antioch becomes in chapter 13 the springboard to global mission, but they're remembering their brothers and sisters that, first of all, sent them the gospel. They, and Jerusalem didn't intend to send them the gospel. It was disruptive. But it, it brings a full circle. Missions even today is a full circle thing. Our life is different when we connect with God's work around the world. Um, I had dinner last evening with Melanie and George, and Melanie had been on the last trip with Twin Falls to the Persian-speaking people. And when she started to talk about it, you could just see, boom! She's already a joyful person. She works with kids. You have to be joyful to work with kids. But something changed in her disposition. A friend named Roger, a retired pastor back in Michigan, a prayer warrior for our ministry, served a number of different congregations and types of churches in his ministry, and and he's in hospice care. He knows that his days are numbered. So I went to see him. I didn't know what to expect. I thought I'd find an emaciated body with jaundiced face and sadness. And I walked into the, his bed in his house, looking out the window. I saw a man who was resilient with joy and radiated the love of God. And I said, Roger, what's going on? He said, well, three months ago they gave me two weeks and for some reason I'm still alive. So they said, just enjoy every day. And so I have. People have been coming over to, to say their goodbyes, but I'm not gone yet. <laughs> it's like I'm at my own funeral. And I said, well, as you reflect on ministry, what is bringing you the most joy and satisfaction? And his eyes got big. And he gave me the name of a guy I can't remember. He said, this was a gentleman in Long Island a homosexual addicted to sex. And one morning after a Saturday night binge in the city, he ended up in our church parking lot and I just invited him to church. It must have been 50 years ago. And over time, he came to faith in Christ and we've never lost touch to this day. Occasionally, he'll send me a card or flowers or we'll call on the phone. There's something about being engaged in the mission of Christ in the world that changes us. We're not the same. We desperately need in our growth as Christians to be dialed in to some name, some person, some story in the far places of the world. When someone travels with us to a conference or sometimes people come with us to Uganda, I say, I've got three things I, I, I'm praying for you to have happen. One is that you will learn something about your faith. You're not just there to give instructions 
to someone else as if we are the experts, but that you will learn. Second, that you will learn also the story, the name, the face of a person in a different part of the world that will never leave you. And third, that when you return, you'll be a champion for the work of Christ in the world. And friends, I just want to invite you to remember our brothers and sisters in the world. Um, I said there's three ways people can can engage with us. Your church is receiving an offering this month, and I, and um, you know that that QR code takes you to our website. You don't don't pay attention to that. Give to your church as they give together to support this conference. But there's three things. One, one thing that all of us can do is I've got my phone, and I'm going to take a video of your face saying my name is Christy, and a verse I want to encourage the Iranians with is X. And you say your verse. 30 seconds. We're going to show those in September, in February, and June of our conferences over the next year. When you think about an offering, every little bit helps. I mean, $25 is what it takes to put a Bible in the hands of an Iranian believer. They, they have the app but they prefer the real thing. Your gift can make a huge difference. And I'm, most of us can probably do something like that. But I'm also praying that there'd be 25 people in Twin Falls Reformed Church who'd say, I will personally write a check to the church to send an Iranian to a conference. It takes about $1,000 to do that. Airfare, hotel, some time with others and food. And I, I'm just, I know that our God's an abundant God. And we cannot outgive God's provision and abundance. I invite you to think about how God would lead you to pray for, encourage, and support these people. Many of them, young people, who are coming to faith in Christ and are the future of the church in that part of the world. Thank you, friends, and thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, take your word and um, seal it in our hearts. God, um, I'm so thankful for the people that you have privileged me to meet this weekend. Um, Lord, and even as I'm praying right now, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna pray for two men I met on the trail yesterday. I invited them to come to church here today. I don't know if they actually did come, but you know their situation, you know their, their life, and I pray, God, that you'd bless and care for them. I pray that the, the magnet of this church's joy in Jesus would be contagious and would draw them here. Thank you for Pastor Chuck and for Christy, for Ryan, for all the team members, the elders and deacons in this place. And Lord, would you allow them to be a light to their Jerusalem, their Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Amen. But friends, you are about to enter every sphere of public life to go and claim it with the light and the salt of the gospel. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever.